quick note before we start. This episode was recorded before the murder of George Floyd and the protest that followed, so we don't make any references to it in the episode. Everybody on the pod unequivocally supports the protests, supports the defunding of police departments, and is disgusted by the obscene behavior of police officers nationwide. If you are as disgusted as we are, we recommend finding a way to pitch in your area's protests. We've included links to a number of bail funds in the episode description, which is an easy way to help, but we also heartily support getting your feet on the ground. Talk to your local Black Lives Matter groups to see if they need help with medical supplies or waters for protesters, or if you can, join in with the BLM-affiliated protests going on in your area. Stay safe, stay brave, and stand with the people that need your help. Okay, on to the show. everyone to another episode of those good old-fashioned values the first and hopefully last family guy podcast on the internet i am your host spencer aka the lonely photon and i am joined as usual by my co-hosts andy aka x underscore narco anon on twitter how you doing and ty aka at bobo underscore circus on twitter and i am joined by a special guest old twitter friend uh one of the best accounts on twitter one of the best filmmakers on twitter Patrick, a.k.a. GoodGuy69. Yeah, thank you for having me. Glad to be on the premier Family Guy podcast online. So, can't believe I made it. So, yeah, tremendous honor. Uh, Patrick, what's your history with Family Guy? You're, like, a little bit older than us. How, what is your experience with the show? So, my experience with the show um, goes back to pretty much the very beginning. I was about, say I was six when the show first started. So when I was about like seven or eight, I was watching those real early episodes. And like back then, that's not something a child should watch. I mean, I wouldn't let my kid watch Family Guy. I mean, it's not something an adult should watch either. Yeah. It's not. Right. It's not. It's the not early seasons for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so I, I was watching those those early episodes back then. And I thought they were the I thought that was just the funniest shit ever. And looking back, like those very early episodes were pretty rough. Not that funny. But like, I'll give you a, a couple examples of the kind of humor. It's like a cutaway. I don't even know how it got set up, but they just did all kinds of crazy cutaways that had nothing to do with the scene. And that's what made it so appealing to like a little kid is that it's just nonstop jokes and they're dirty jokes. You may not fully understand the dirty jokes, but you know, they're dirty jokes. Like there were so many. Jo- I thought like a lot of the clean jokes were dirty jokes. I was just laughing my ass off. Yeah. Like, the storylines were pretty crap, but just the nonstop barrage of jokes. Like, for example, what I was going to say is that, like, there was a cutaway where Peter was set up to, like, be in a room where it said, do not push button. And he, like, stares at it for a minute and doesn't push it. And then he pushes it. And then, like, some karate guy comes in and just kicks him in the nuts. Stuff like Just that very, very simple kind of humor. I love that. So I realize this is stretching out a little bit. My history with Family Guy. Going to write a book about this after. So that was the early days. My, my parents actually uh, bought me a DVD set of seasons one, two, and three without knowing what it was. Oh, that's great. I, I, I had a similar experience where my parents let my friends watch like season six and it was like completely uncensored and they were terrified when they learned. <laughs> oh, no. It's exactly what happened to me. They, they took it away from me, put it on a high shelf. And um, I got to the shelf, you know, I found, I found my way to the, the shelf to get it off. 
you stack stuff up and you like climb up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Child standing on a chair stuff. A kid will find a way. And yeah. There's a $5 bill in there. And I was like, oh, $5. But I actually <laughs> left the $5 in there because I was like, what if this is a trap? They put $5 <laughs> in there to see if I would go, you know, try to look at Family Guy. And like, I take the $5 out and I'll know I've been, I've been doing it. So anyway, after that, um, I rediscovered Family Guy a few years ago after they disallowed me from watching it. And uh, pretty much I've been consistently watching it ever since. The past few years, kind of not so much. I'm not such a big fan of the last few seasons. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's my history. This is interesting because I, I think that, and I mean, granted, you're like the second guest, but I think you're the first person on the pod who like has kept up with Family Guy. A lot of us like us and Seamus and I think a lot of our upcoming guests kind of like admit we fell off like around, you know, a little bit after season 13 or 14 at the latest. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to hear. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Um, So, you know, we're doing second half of season four, specifically episodes 16 through 27. We decided to break up the season because it's not only the longest season it's probably the most important one uh, as we talked earlier it's the yes. first season after the cancellation and revival you know it's the first one where seth mcfarlane isn't the showrunner so it's a pretty huge one and we decided to break it up since we had enough to talk about for two episodes so what did we all think about the second half of season four it felt slower to me if that if anything like i i think a lot of the more memorable episodes from the season were kind of up front and it kind of loses steam after maybe episode 17 or 18 that was my that kind of makes sense because they're trying to like pull people back in right they're putting the good stuff up front so that they'll have like an audience when they i I think there are definitely some still some strong episodes and i think this does have a lot of the strongest jokes of the season but i think i can get what you're saying about this being the weaker half definitely patrick what did you think about these couple of episodes the 11 or 12 episodes you watched um see i thought it was kind of inconsistent i watched them back to back which is something i don't usually do i'll usually watch one or two at a time that's dangerous yeah we 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 do not recommend binging on this podcast even though we do it a lot it's, it's definitely brain rotting it's it's an experience I've, I've heard you i've heard you guys talk about that your horrifying results of that but oh, that sucks. One, one advantage of that is um, you watch it one at a time. It's it's kind of like, oh, a Family Guy episode. That's pleasant. But you watch it like back to back to back to back. You're like, OK, this episode is not very good. This episode is clearly very well written. You know, this writer did a pretty good job on it. I don't keep up with who the writers are. I mean, we probably don't even do it. And we, we make the podcast. So that's something we should probably improve on. Yeah. Well, we, we have been making an effort to look into the director of a specific episode more just because now that Seth kind of stepped down from the show running. But yeah, we're very bad at it too. Yeah. Seth wrote one episode this season, the very first one, North North by North Quahog. That was See, that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. we, we talked about it in the last episode where, it, Spencer, you were saying that has like a very, like it's basically ripped whole cloth from like Hitchcock and it has that kind of like old Hollywood shtick that he's such a fan of. So, like, that makes sense. Yeah. Since we already talked about, like, you know, character developments uh, last episode, and since it's the same season, we don't have a, a ton to talk about there. Patrick, do you have any, like, thoughts on, you know, the main characters or side characters, like how they're written? So, basically, at this point in the show, the early seasons, even season three, they were still kind of finding their way a little bit. Yeah. The character, it was kind of like The Simpsons' first few seasons. Characters were kind of forming. By this season, the characters were pretty much how they, how they would be for the next few I would years. I'd say that's mostly fair, yeah. Yeah. 
they kind of crystallized right now. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, Peter, Peter's doing his thing. He's, you know, he's an oaf. He's kind of a, you know, he's still kind of a lovable oaf in later seasons. He's a little bit less lovable, kind of like the parallel with Homer Simpson in the later seasons. But well, it's weird because he's not super lovable in the beginning of the show either. Like he kind of softens up a bit and then kind of goes back. Yeah. Yeah. He's awful. The the, fir- the very first episode yeah. where he goes to the stag party, it's setting him up to be just a, you know, a jackass. This is during the jackass era of Homer Simpson, too. So The famous jerkass Homer. Jerk-ass yeah, this, Homer. Well, this was actually a little bit past that, because the peak of that was like uh, the, the Scully year, season 9 through 12, but this is this is definitely not when the... When, when Simpsons season... Or Family Guy season 4 was airing, was definitely not when Family, Simpsons was at their peak. No, I was, I was talking about, about seasons like season 1, 2, and 3. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. Other than that, um, I was going to say Stewie... Um, Stewie's interesting... Stewie would be like the most interesting one to look at for me because like he's still like this posh British baby. He's still <laughs> kind of he still kind of wants to kill his mom. Yeah, and he's still an evil genius, but it, he's kind of chill. Yeah, he's definitely in more of a transitionary period. It is weird how often like they return to the wants to kill Lois stuff in these seasons because it's like it's not nearly as consistent as it was at the beginning, but you still get it like once every four or five episodes. Yeah, like episode like yeah. the first season, the only thing Stewie did was he would talk like Doctor Evil and just like talk in this yeah. like very verbose way about wanting to kill Lois, and then they now they softened up completely and he's just like a fussy gay guy, but like they still return but, to but it. But they still touch, yeah, 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 ambiguously gay at the same time yeah, lots of parallels with other shows going on at the time like at the very same time that like uh, Seth MacFarlane had set up the ambiguously gay not quite gay but gay alien uh, Roger in American Dad so yeah when did when did American Dad start was that like 2006 or whatever I know the first I know the I know the the, the first two seasons were hand-drawn not uh, digital like Family Guy's later season yeah. okay 2005 yeah, so. yeah 2005 that's right about the same time yeah, yeah. same exact year. like maybe maybe like in production the season five or whatever that was uh i think one reason seth mcfarland stepped away from the show a little bit is to focus on american dad yeah which i i don't think it's a coincidence that american dad's generally the stronger show it is we talked a lot about uh herbert last episode and we herbert the pervert yeah he um god i remember being in middle school everyone thought he was like the funniest guy in the world just like you know everyone all the middle schoolers are like that's he's such a great character but he gets a he gets a holy crap can you can you say that on TV that like he wants to have sex with a kid? Yeah. Like what are they smoking? Yeah. The um the he gets like a full Ty, you mentioned earlier that it gets kind of uncomfortable when they're very sympathetic to him. And sure enough, this season he gets like a full-on episode where he's uh, you know, he's sort of a sympathetic, has an unrequited love story with with Chris. What do we think of that? Since I, for whatever we think of that, I think that's probably the funniest episode of the season, but like, I think, you know. I think the episode does work. At the same time, I think you can make a strong argument that this is where Herbert peaked and everything since then has kind of been table scraps. I think that's a little unfair specifically, but like, it's, it's not far off from a ballpark. Like, I, I think the logical way to take the character had to be like less, you know, just kind of a molester and more like actually wanting something more yeah. with Chris. Like, I, I think, like, you really could not have... It's either he is a gag character or he wants to be in a relationship. But, I, I mean, again, I I think it is funny. I think they pull it off pretty well. It is kind of weird to be asked to sympathize with this guy's quest to essentially molest a 13-year-old, you know? Yeah, usually, um, 
usually this show is pretty strong around this era when they're like pretty genuine about what characters really want to do and what they really want to become. But like with Herbert and like the scene where like he has like babies with Chris, like it's it's kind of it's kind of off putting, I guess. It also, I totally forgot about that part, but it's it's a good example of that kind of prevailing mindset that, like, trans people are just, like, the gayest people. Like, yeah. like oh, this guy's so gay that obviously he wants to wear a dress, mm. you know? I mean... Um, like, I think one thing, you're, you're, you know, sort of... Going off Herbert for a little bit, just I want to talk about, like, other, you know, similar characters. I think, like, last season we sort of said, eh, this is when I started, started getting, like, really aggressive towards Meg. I feel like the back half of that season tips it off. Yeah. Oh but at the God. same time, I also feel like this is when the show yeah. starts to... Not fully step away, but ease up on Quagmire's entire character being a rapist and move around in a little bit direction. I think that's a little interesting that, like, the worst character of a previous season gets a little better while a new character becomes the worst. Patrick, I don't know if you saw anything from season three, but we had to talk about it last episode where, like, there are multiple episodes in season three where the episode ends on the joke that Quagmire is going to rape a teenager. Like, that's just the ending of the episode. And it's it's yeah. very yeah. weird. Well, to be fair, it's not always a teenager. Sometimes yeah. it's a grown woman. Oh, so but... there you go. Yeah. So, like, it, he's not a monster. Um, I... I want to talk about, there were two things I noticed uh, that I didn't comment on when I first saw the season, when I first, you know, saw the first couple episodes, in that there are a lot of uh, episodes this season that when they kind of need a conclusion, they just swipe it straight from a Spielberg movie. Like, they do the Raiders ending, where they wheel someone away um, in, like, a storage house. They have the um, uh, Temple of Doom ending, where they have a racist character caricature chasing them through a fiery pit. There's some others I'm forgetting. There's obviously, like, some a Star Wars ending, which isn't Spielberg, but, like, Lucas is pretty close to that. So many Star Wars references. Like that, that new Hollywood or whatever. It, yeah. it, they, they, when like they need like a way to resolve a plot, they usually lean on some like beloved piece of 80s pop culture. Well, I think it. that's also part of the reason why Family Guy, you know, especially if this season is so popular. Family Guy really was one of the first pieces of media to really fucking hammer home. Yeah, 80s nostalgia is going to be a big fucking thing. You better get like ready for it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They they jumped yeah, they, on Yeah, this early. predates Stranger Things by 11 years and is low key a little better mm-hmm. than Stranger Things. But and it's not just 80s, it's a little bit of 70s and 90s nostalgia too. The later seasons yeah. kind of move to more like current references, I guess. But just everything 70s through 90s. If you're an old person, you'll like the show. Well, I mean, really the reference base is what Seth MacFarlane and people approximately Yeah. Seth, you you know, people who are like 80% Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, basically just what they grew up enjoying is kind of like the reference pool. The other thing I wanted to comment on uh, for the rest of the season is this is the first instance. And it makes sense since this is the first season where the internet is like really taking off and really becoming a big thing. It's the first example of the family guy effect. Um, I've talked about this before, but the family guy effect, it's no longer applies that much now, but it was this phenomenon from, I want to say like 2005 to 2012, where there was a rule that if an internet meme appeared on family guy, that means that it had officially run its course and it was going to go out of the public consciousness (laughs) soon. And you see, sure enough, you see Brian doing a, it's peanut butter jelly time. And they have the 
the deep yeah, fry we've done. Because this season like was, two yeah. episodes uh, later. That one, yeah. May through May 2000, 2005, 2006. So this was very early YouTube. Yeah, this is this is sort this of this was like like this was the part of um sort of internet culture where it just started becoming mainstream. Yeah, it, it, it's like the albino black sheep, like, flash video, uh, you know, Neil Sasirga era. Well, Neil Sasirga's always been around, but, like, this is, like, kind of his first Yeah, this is this is too, Chocolate so. Rain, this is fucking Ray William Johnson, this is super early YouTube. Um, not even, not even this Ray. Is given this a, is Smosh, yeah. This is, like, uh, pre-YouTube pre stuff that they're referencing. Like, the Ding Fries Are Done was around in, like, 2000. Like they were like so late to they were like Look so forward, late to, get uh, to getting more yeah. and more internet commentary uh, as as the show goes along and uh, that sounds insane. Well, let's sucks. just put it this way: in about season eleven or so, the trollololo guy shows up like three years after that was a yeah. thing. Also, don't forget about the multiple episodes involving Twitter, like Silicon Valley companies. Oh God! Oh yeah, the episode where t Brian literally gets doxxed for a racist tweet that came out like twenty. That's awesome. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no. So yeah, this is a this is definitely the beginning of what we think of as Family Guy. Since the first three seasons almost feel like a completely different show, I, I feel like this is really where I, I forget if I mentioned this last season, but this this season of Family Guy is really where it starts to resemble the Family Guy like that people think of. Yeah, classic. Yeah. Era. The other thing I wanted to uh, comment on is. You know, this takes place during the Bush era, and there is this very weird tension. And I, I mentioned this in the South Park episode we did, but there's this very similar tension to South Park episode where there's like this, I don't know, anti-Bush stance. And, you know, they talk a lot about, you know, Bush bombing brown people, as they say. But there's also like this very anti-Islamophobic war on terror stuff in it. It's kind of weird. Patrick, did you did you have anything to think? Did you think anything about the uh, George Bush stuff in it? Well, this is where I get to bring my political science background mm -hmm. to, to good use. Hell yeah. I think Go for it. Bush himself appeared once when they were making fun of the Hurricane Katrina response. He was hiding in his treehouse. They don't make me do stuff. Oh, that was, was pretty funny. They're, they're pretty much... There have been scattered references before, but I think that was like the first in this yeah. crop. I wanted, there might have been like one other, but yeah. That's, that's kind of Family Guy's whole shtick is, like, portraying the younger Bush as just, like, a big I kid. Actually, that's something which... I, I wanted to say mm -hmm. about that, but I'll, I'll let Patrick finish first. I was just going to say I agree, yeah. Like, the portraying him as just, like, some kind of dumbass or some just kind of kid, basically, was... Yeah, that was, that was how he was I think Family Guy, this sort of view of Bush uh, as this sort of stupid childlike figure, we can see it disastrous in the modern yeah. era because, like, you know, you, most Democrats look back fondly on Bush. And this is why. Because they don't think Bush actually did any of the bad stuff. They think he was just fucking goofing off during the entire term. And it was actually all Cheney that was doing the governing. That's sort of the infantile Bush mindset is why he's been able to get so much of the pass, I think. No, I, I think that's totally valid. Like, and... and... This might be too kind of heady for the show that we're doing. I, I am not like any kind of political mind or anything. Was that something that we think was like deliberate in the Bush administration? Or is that kind of like an effect of, or like nostalgia well, or whatever? Well, I mean, there, there was a, a genuine sense in American politics that like, yeah, no, Cheney was calling most of the shots, but at the same time, Bush was still, like, in charge, and, and it, right. it was the sort of under-exaggeration of the, the actual dynamic that, that let Bush sort of get off the hook. 
I don't know, Patrick, what, what other uh, political science type insights do you want to bring to this season? Since it does feel very 2005. Yeah, we're, we're all fucking stupid. So like... The episode where Mayor West uh, built a giant uh, statue of Diggum use gay marriage as like a distraction from that i thought that was pretty uh you know i thought that was pretty funny uh because uh, uh coral rove actually masterminded a bunch of states putting um putting referendums on the ballot to ban gay marriage in 2004 right so this is before the election they decided that you know a bunch of states are going to do this we're going to get the we're going to get this on the ballot and it turns out you know um research has shown that that really helped bush that brought out a bunch of very like conservative voters who oppose gay marriage so i mean there's this precedent and people you know using gay marriage and other you know quote unquote cultural issues like that to like maybe distract from like things like i don't know disastrous iraq war some would call it yeah. disastrous in my in my I, opinion i don't think you could argue it's sorry if that's controversial you will not find disagreement on the pod actually a, f- a funny thing about that though is that for a lot of those states that rove kind of canvassed with the with the gay rights or the the anti-gay rights pushes uh all of them had statues of serial mascots yeah that's true that... like i think holy shit kentucky did i think it was tony the tiger uh, Tennessee had the wolf from the Cookie Crisps. Um, no, it was weird. Yeah. What the fuck? The world of film, world of reality. The two aren't so different. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, um, oh, I, I wanted to note that before we get into the, like, deep dives, is that this episode, these episodes still continue to use the crutch of um, Peter singing or musical numbers a lot to fill time. Where it gets frustrating this season is that it feels like they feel like those musical numbers are like funny in of themselves. I personally didn't know about the Ding Fries Are Done thing being a prehistoric internet meme. So you can see me in my notes just getting insanely frustrated in writing. Peter singing isn't inherently funny. Which, I did miss the joke there, but it does feel true across the board. Well, the joke is, like, being generous. The joke is that, hey, you've seen this before, which is, like... Exactly. And that's something they lean on more this it, season. Yeah, I, I, we mentioned this before, but th- that's, like, sort of the first example of what I call, like, the, you know, the insanity rune joke in Family Guy, where there's no setup, there's no punchline, there's no gag. It's just, like, a thing that happens, and it usually results yeah. in me yelling at the TV, like, where's the joke? In my notes, I have maybe upwards of ten times just the words references aren't jokes. Like, they they are very cavalier with it in, in season four and on. Tell that to fucking Seth MacFarlane. Like, it, <laughs> this season it gets really blatant where they do yeah. this thing you're talking about. They're just like, hey, here's a pop culture thing and here's our characters right. doing it. There's no joke. It's just kind of, what if Peter sang the Ding Fries or Yeah, what if song? Brian did It's Peanut like, Butter Jelly Time? Yeah. The, um... I want I want to say as someone who was a teenager. Do, oh, do you think that they're also like relying on the the, the fact that all, this is two thousand five and six, and not as many Americans are using the internet, so that like they're seeing it for the first time and it's just pure shock value? Um, That's entirely possible. But it's not funny if you haven't but, seen it. I, I'm, I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying I think that might be what they're going for. It's like it's funny if you get the reference, but it's also wacky if you don't because it's it, it it replicates the charm of the seeing the original for the first I time i guess i'm not saying it's correct but i'm saying that's what i might going. just be coming at it like biased no i could i could yeah, see that i definitely. also feel like there's um 
So there's got to be some philosophical term for what we're experiencing here. I also want to say that as someone who was like, you know, really young seeing that stuff, when I was like 10 or so, seeing like an internet meme appear on Family Guy, I thought it was like the coolest thing. Well, so that is, um, we'll, we'll talk about this as we go on, but it is just, I am wondering how much of the show is intentionally written as the knowledge that like, yeah, a bunch of kids watch our fucking show. Who cares? Who cares? It would not surprise me if that's, like, a solid half of the jokes. You know, we all mentioned it that we all kind of grew up watching Family Guy and that our parents didn't approve of it, but it does but it does feel like this season, with the knowledge that so many, like, you know, teenagers and kids love the show, I feel like they, they might, in fact, be starting to lean into that fact and include stuff that will appeal to, uh, you know, younger audiences like internet memes. Before we dive into the, like, deeper analysis, I want to say that, for starters, I don't like the Madonna slander. Great recording artist. And second of all, yeah. do we do we have any uh, anything else to add? Oh, speaking of the Madonna thing, I think this season is really where they kind of hit the pedal on the, the kind of joke that's structured around being a very straightforward conversation and kind of the joke is that it's out of place i i like they do that maybe once or twice yeah, yeah. Like it's every usually like episode. peter starts it and then he it, yeah I don't know if, it, did i say this peter last episode like this exact point and then brian and oh, brian or lovis scream at him to like no do the thing like um but I mean, like, even with the Madonna, it's like, literally, that's like a two minute scene of just them talking about Madonna, like, in a way that your stepdad would, you know? And it's like, and that, and that's kind of its bread and butter, I think, in this season more so than... I, I think it's also the the sort of foundation for a lot of the would-you-rather jokes you get from the other from later on in the South. Yes. Yeah, when it's like they're, the gang is in the car or whatever. Yeah, no, I, some of them are really good is the thing. Like, um, there's the, the famous I did not care for the Godfather one. Apparently that one was based on a real conversation they had in the writer's room, and it feels like it. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was improvised. You know which one really gets me? I think what this is one of the episodes we're going to touch on. I, I have, like, a really special place in my heart for the train scene on Peter Attica, because I think that was the first yeah. one of those I ever really saw, where they're just... Peter's just talking to the guy in the train, like, while they're trying to rob it. That was hilarious. One of the best jokes of the season. I also worth worth noting, uh, this set of episodes has what I would probably consider the most iconic Family Guy joke of all time, which is uh, the Brian... We're not talking about the episode specifically, so I want to bring it up. The um, Brian and Stewie, where's my money bit. Yeah, that was huge on, like, YouTube. Like, I remember just seeing that in every YouTube compilation. It's just Stewie just graphically beating the shit out of Brian. You gonna give me my money? Where's my money, man? Where's the money? Yeah, you like that? That feel good? That feel good? Where's the money, man? Where's my money? My notes on it was just that it was just vaguely uncomfortable. Like, it's just, you know, maybe I'm being a pussy there, but like, it's just, yeah. it just was like, just goes on forever. And it's just really graphic. And it's like, what? It's, I mean, yeah, it's not like a, like, it would be like showing someone a, 10 minute long video of like getting your toenails ripped out being like no the joke is that it's really long i i think this is a little better than that just because there is there is an, an element of cartoony exaggeratedness with the flamethrowers and stuff but i get what you're saying it didn't yeah. resolve very well it ended with like stewie being afraid of brian and um 
the rest of the episode wasn't very good. No, the Tom Brady really stuff weird sucked. episode. Like um, someone that had Shapoopy. That maybe is my least favorite episode of Family Guy, like of all time. I I mean, there might be some late. No, the my least favorite is the Storm one. But this is like of maybe the in season. My top five. I can definitely understand and agree with, but like top five all time. Wow. Yeah, cause, I mean, I get it. Cause like the show. That's the thing I've also noticed about Family Guy. I am all for making fun of the British. Seth MacFarlane does not know how to make a good British joke to make his his fucking life, and it's so easy. Yeah, it's like, oh, they're 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 gay. Get it? <laughs> they're they're, gay. they're revolting like, people. How about you make fun of that instead? Yeah, they're yeah, all they're swamp annoying. chavs. Yeah. The, the London silly They are literally like they are the missing link between monkeys. Yeah, and yeah, humans. no, it, like, it, it's the whole joke is like yeah. they're wimps, and it's like Seth, you're a theater kid, like. You can't pull that shit on <laughs> British people. Yeah, bro, you can't call them weak while you're listening to Frank Sinatra. We're going to take a quick break now, and when we come back, we're going to uh, head into the episode proper. Everyone has fingernails and everyone wants cash. So send us all your fingernails and we'll send you some cash. Fingernailsforcash.com. Fingernails for cash. Remember, it's just fingernails, so don't expect much cash. Fingernailsforcash.com, our service never fails. Just take the cash and don't ask why we want your fingernails, because we might be building a fort with them. And we're back. Uh, This is the episode Deep Dive stuff. We got a decent slate of stuff to talk about today. Um, Patrick, you chose two episodes to really go deep on. Uh, Let's get started with those. Uh, Which ones did you choose? Okay, yeah, I chose The Fat Guy Strangler and Peter Rodica, two episodes that I thought worked really well. I, I would agree with that. The Fat Guy Strangler plot, I'll just give a quick overview for the audience in case they've missed it, but the Fat Guy Strangler plot is that Peter forms a group for fat, like, fat rights, basically. Lois discovers she has a long-lost brother in the mental hospital. She frees him, but it turns out he's like a serial killer for fat people, and the two plots intersect in lots of zany ways. And starring uh, Robert Downey Jr. actually as uh, Lois's brother. Oh wow, that's that's probably why he doesn't come back in later. The voice actor changes. Right. Yeah. Well, because it was two right years before, before um, three years before. Because Iron Man came out in two thousand seven. This is like right? the bottom of yeah. Robert Downey Jr.'s career. Like this is like when he was the drug guy. Like right before he actually became a movie star this and kiss kiss bang yeah. bang are basically like the nadir of his career despite the fact that he's good here and he's great yeah he kiss, was kiss, also bang, in bang. tropic thunder doing blackface just wanted to point that out so patrick why don't you talk about the uh, episode why you think it worked or what you didn't think worked very little in this episode didn't work for me so there's like usually in these sitcoms uh for our viewers, you might be familiar with this terminology. You have an A plot, which is your main plot. You have a B plot, which is like your side plot. You might even sometimes have a C plot, which is like your least important plot. A lot of the time in these shows, the A plot and B plot, they don't really coincide. They just kind of end at the same time. Uh, this one, Peter is tired of fat people being mistreated. And of course, as Spencer just said, uh, Lois discovers she has a long lost brother, uh, Robert Downey Jr. in an insane asylum. And they discover, you know, lo and behold, he he is insane. What what worked? Um, just basically, there was something in every scene that made me smile. I, I think every one of the the Peter and the fat guy meetings like just works wonderfully. Um, <laughs> it's a good example of duration being the, the joke. double AFP. 
I I will say I might be alone in this. I I don't think the first one really did much for me. And this is not even getting into like the episode is like pretty exceptionally cruel to fat people. Like absolutely. But even like just from a joke structure standpoint, I think a lot of it worked. I I don't think that first one just really. I don't know. Yeah. It didn't click. I, with I me. do. I I do like the the fat guy eating the other dead fat guy upstairs. <laughs> yeah. That is a very okay, good joke. Lois. So uh, we got we got like, a half if you're dead. We're gonna go that we way. We got a half yeah. dead fat guy upstairs eating a dead fat. Guy. <laughs> yeah, it's. That's a really great... Or just the little sting of, like, when they're leaving the room and he, he's just like, are you going to finish that or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Like, if, if you're going to be cruel to fat people, that is a good joke, like, to do that with. I, I also like Lois's, like, kind of denial That's really the episode. good. Uh, she, she... This is a good example just... of Brian Strait, man, for an, yes. for an episode. Um, it's also a good example of Lois deviating from the sitcom mom stuff where she's just, like... Her two best modes are, like, aggressive denial or, like, weird hedonistic streak. And... Yeah, we. I mean, we, we talked about it last episode, but this season has been really kind of Lois. Like, more so than maybe any other character. Lois definitely took a step up here in this yeah, season. Yeah, season three, she's, like, uninhibited, and yeah. she gets to, like, cut loose a lot, which is, I think, when she's at her best. And, yeah, she's yeah, more of the straight, sure. straight woman here. Yeah, no, th- this season, like, a lot of them are towards the beginning because that's, like, where a lot of the better episodes are in general. But this season has, like, maybe four or five of, like, the quintessential Lois episodes. Like, it's got Model Misbehavior. It's got this one. It's got uh, the one where she goes to jail. It, You know, it's... This is a very good season for kind of building up Lois. You know, side story here. Uh, actually, a few months yeah. ago, I uh, I went out with a girl and I thought she looked like somebody that I knew. <laughs> I couldn't quite place like who she looked like. And then as I've been, you know, doing my research for this show, I realized, oh, well, right. she looks like Lois Griffin. And I was kind of mind blown. <laughs> but, you know, honored at the same time. I have no problems with Lois Griffin. Admirable character. But um, strange moment for me. So I, I think it's time <laughs> where we uh, look at ourselves and ask, is Family Guy being problematic again? Do you think this episode goes too far and it's making fun of me- uh, people with mental health issues? I'd be okay. So I, I I try not to be like you know the scold guy or whatever. Um, I know I bring in like the the problematic episodes to talk about, but it's not because I'm ever offended by them. Usually, it's just because I think they're the most interesting to talk about. Uh, th- this one, uh, I I can't deny that like my hatred of like mental hospitals or whatever didn't kind of like grate on me a bit. I literally was just looking at the Wikipedia page just to refresh my mind on the plot summary, and I learned that it's a Shadow of a Doubt parody, which is another Hitchcock movie that makes it go down a little easier for me, but yeah, it... it, it, I will say I'll give it at least a pass enough for being deliberately cartoony enough and not at all preachy about it, so it feels... It it doesn't feel patronizing or super offensive, it just feels like a one-off thing, which is less egregious. And again, I, I still think this is a good episode of Family. Yeah. It's funny. My, my, my take on it, um, I, th- I think that it is not great, obviously, like, the idea that every crazy person just, like, you know, sees people who aren't there is kind of, like, a, a trope that felt even tired by that. But I, I will say that I will give it a pass because I really do not think, like, like most media, just, like, in general, I don't think really got good about mental illness until, like, 2012. Like, you could see, I, I think that there were kids' cartoons doing the exact same thing that Family Guy is doing, like, maybe even worse at the same time. And it was it, it is bad in retrospect, I think, for 
kind of the culture it was grown in. I, I think that it was maybe even a little... I also weird. want to say, though, that, like, Marion is probably the one thing about this episode yeah. that's just like, yeah, that's not really that funny. Marion didn't work except for the scene where, where like, they're pointing a gun or a knife at her and he's like nice try she's over there and then they <laughs> yeah. step like feet to the left i i liked the uh the pickle joke where like there, there's like that moment where they're like yeah yeah watch this maybe the cucumber will turn into a pickle and then it does and then they're both really freaked out um i'll just briefly mention one last thing about the fat guy strangler um before we move on is that as far as mental illness like lois's brother as a character, this is a good example of like a good character because there's like you can tell he's just in pure psychic horror. Like when Peter's right up in his face saying "pow" right in the kisser, he's just a broken man. So with the well structured plot and just the pretty good sequence of jokes, this is this is, gets an A plus for me. Although it is a pretty it's it's a pretty mean episode. Yeah. Well, Family Guy's often at its best when it's at its meanest, which is the interesting thing about it. And yes. not coincidentally, this is, I think, the season where it starts getting a lot meaner than it had previously been. Peter Rodica, uh so I want to say that with the previous episode, Fat Guy Strangler, uh, it does weave the two plots together pretty well. You know, you've got the the Peter fat activist and you've got the Lois's brother, you know, the serial killer, and they weave together quite nicely. This is an episode where those right. these two two side plots do not intersect at and all. I I like both of the plots, yeah. but if I had to cut one, man, that that Stewie plot is utterly disposable. Well, it's it, yeah, it's literally not a plot. It's like a series of connected set pieces. Like yeah, it's a it's, it's a time waster. It's a it's just a means to burn up about three minutes. Even this yeah. episode, you know, it's got like the acts don't really have anything to do with each other. The first half of the episode is Peter writing erotica. Which isn't a bad bit, especially because Peter's erotica is all just like, the boobies were totally awesome. And it, it's funny because it catches on with people. And they get Betty White, and it's always great to have Betty White and stuff, especially when she gets to be mean. Mm -hmm. um, but then what happens is, is that because someone gets in a car accident while listening to it, Carter Pewterschmidt, uh, Peter's father-in-law who publishes the stuff, gets sued. So he becomes poor. And his wife leaves them, and then Peter and uh, Carter spend the rest of the episode trying to, like, get rich again. And again, that's funny. It's It's got plenty of good stuff in it, but it's just... I, um... I felt like the Peter stuff never felt that egregious, but I, I can see where you're coming from. It was just disposable. I mean, there were parts of it that worked really well. Again, you know, like I said, I think the train, the, the train scene is like one of my all-time favorites. But, but there was just a lot in this episode that felt like, not even like padding because it wasn't to make it longer, but it, it just felt like. So I, I want to, I want to talk about this episode. You know, we, we mentioned, uh, you know, all throughout uh, both of the season four episodes now that we think Lois gets a very strong season. As a result, I think um, the pewter shits, especially yeah. Carter, gets a very strong role going forward. And I think Carter's one of the best se secondary cam characters in Family Guy. And this is a great highlight of, of his, his good jokes. I can agree um, with that. Yeah, the, the fact that um, Carter lost everything and had to work with Peter to get his wolf back, that was, a, that was a good plot. And the fact that the B plot only took up like two or three minutes out of the whole episode is fine. That's why it worked in my eyes. I think yeah. There was hardly any B plot. The A plot was just really solid. I, I want to say, I know I complain about, you know, they do references just for the sake of references. If they're going to do that, if they must, which I don't think they do, but if they must, Singing in the Rain isn't a bad place to pull right. from. And letting Quagmire, letting Quagmire do Make Him Laugh actually made me realize how much he's drawn from Cosmo from Singing in the Rain. I don't know if any of you have seen that nope. movie. 
Uh, never all the way through, but I know like a bunch, like most yeah. of the big. Okay, for starters, pieces. you'll have to watch that because it's the fucking best. But he, he's like he's like the kind. Yeah, of... he's like the zany sidekick. Mm-hmm. Who, like fires off. Yeah, he's he's like the yeah guy he, with the he mouse fires off all these like one liners and stuff. Yeah. and Quagmire definitely feels like a a mix of okay. him with like Rat Pack stereotypes of you know guys who are cruising for dames. Right. Patrick, I do agree with you that we, we talk a lot about in the show how where it has very weak structure, but that's usually not a huge issue for us because if the jokes are good, the jokes are good. Do you agree? Yes. The jokes were the jokes were good. In this episode, it was just nonstop, like just funny jokes and like a pretty, pretty good, solid plot. That's it. You get a lot of those this season. Like, I know this isn't this is considered, you know, post cancellation is considered to be like the the end of good family guy basically like everyone says well after no. after cancellation it gets bad but there's a lot of good stuff this episode this season yeah, uh episode 16 um uh, the courtship of stewie's father is the hardest i've laughed in like a very long time i was like dying pretty consistently through the it. fucking the the final like peter and stewie team up to attack lois joke might be one of the best family guy jokes of all time the, the the extended sequence where they like kidnap her, drown her, and like laugh about it for like a solid minute is so good. Also, yeah. this uh, the episode has aged well, I think, just because it's it's nice to be like, oh yeah, remember when Disney was like a joke and not like the most terrifying monolithic corporation of all time? Remember? Oh when yeah. Michael, remember Michael Eisner and how much of a big fucking There's a whole idiot ride about the was? Disney stock slide. Yeah, it's so weird to see people talking about Michael Eisner because it's like the past decade or whatever yeah. has been totally dominated by Bob Iger. Like it's, it's, it almost feels like an earlier era. It's of like weird and America. a little reassuring, yeah. I guess, to see, you know, comparatively short time ago, like 15 years ago to see that Disney was like this, you know, it was a failure basically in the mid 2000s. Hopefully was, now that Iger's left, we can, we can go back to that time. The mid 2000s was not a good time for Disney. I, I, I just want to say, I, I do have also a lot of soft spot for their bigger train wrecks. Like, I love Treasure Planet and Atlantis the Lost Empire. Treasure Planet rules. Yeah. I've never watched Atlantis, but Treasure Planet is, like... I can see why it bombed. It's a very interesting movie. It's not... Yeah, it's not, like... It's not, like, blockbuster. Also, the first Pirates is arguably best action movie of the whole fucking decade. Did not care for it. It insists on itself. It How can you even say itself. that? It's, like, the perfect movie. <laughs> <laughs> They're speaking Italian. Yeah. Johnny Depp's on an island, like complaining about Rome or something. I, okay. I just, I just okay. didn't get it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Insists upon itself. Uh. The um, you know, one more thing I want to say about Peter Radica. Again, I, I, I try to, you know, full disclosure. <laughs> I keep like plot summaries open just so I can uh, remind myself. Since I, I watch these yeah. over the course of a week, and they kind of blend together. I literally just learned as we're recording this that. This episode was, like, a huge problem for the censors. Like, a lot of the erotica jokes were considered um, too obscene for television. There was one, I think, called Catcher in the Eye, and it was removed because, you know. And the jokes about Carter shitting himself had to be toned down. It's nice, though, just to, to get a watch an episode of Family Guy and talk about it on the prob- podcast and be like, yeah, this was a fun, lighthearted episode that no real problematic aspects outside of... The, well, yeah. the problematic episode in this episode is because yeah. they're making fun of an admittedly very problematic movie. But, yeah, no, it's it's just kind of, you know, nice to... Uh... So there is something that I wanted to bring up in regards to this episode before we, we move on. It, it's, it just, it strikes me as so weird that Carter has become such a, like, prominent figure in the show when Francis, who was introduced, like, a season or two earlier, shows up maybe, like, 
three you know, times obviously before to make they the, kill him. The Simpsons comparison again because that's that's what we do here. Mr. Burns is like the best Simpson, most popular right. Simpsons side character like of all time in terms of like sheer usage. Because so it makes sense that you have the asshole billionaire dad. Right. You're going to use the asshole billionaire dad. Um, right. What I wanted to bring up is that I, I want to get your opinions because I was kind of thinking about it. Do you think that if they had waited a couple seasons to introduce Peter's dad or whatever, and he was voiced by Seth, like Carter Peterschmidt is, instead of Charles Durning, who probably was a bit tougher to get than the guy who made the show, like, do you think he could have become as mainstay a character as He doesn't seem Carter to have Peter the Schmidt. same, like, potential, but he's definitely in Family Guy's wheelhouse, which is, you know, edgy, anti-religious yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah, and, 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 you know... It's not like there isn't tons right. of jokes you can get out, get out of making fun of Irish people and Catholics alike. So I think I think it kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> like there is potential. Uh, um, Ty, what episode did you bring to yeah. the table? I picked the episode Brian sings and swings. Of course. Um, yeah, it's episode twenty. I I picked it not because it's like a particularly. I mean, it's it's one of my favorite in the seasons just because it hits a couple of very specific like pleasure points for me. I'm a big fan of you know, big band music. I am, you know, big Buble and Sinatra fan or whatever, which yeah. you know, make fun of me. And also like the subplot about Meg joining the lesbian club is something that I have a lot of potential to dig into. But I, the big reason why I think I brought it was just because it it is the beginning of the love affair that the show has with the late Frank Sinatra Jr. Because they bring him back like two or three times for episodes that are like based solely around him and usually Brian singing. Ty, what did you think? So why don't you go into your analysis of the Lesbian Alliance Club? Um, it's tough. Really, they're not very creative with their jokes about like the the kind of running joke for like maybe a decade is that lesbians have deep voices, which is like not particularly fruitful as a comic vehicle. I, I think they're surprisingly humanizing with the girl who Meg fake dates, uh, Sarah, I think her name is. I, I mean, I think she's not like a three-dimensional character by any means, but I think they like they could have made her, you know, spiky hair, like Patrick Warburton voice. I actually yeah. really liked the scene where Lois kind of politely calls out her daughter. Because usually there's like a lot of stuff in this era of like Lois and Peter just utterly being awful to Meg. And that's true. But, like, Lois is actually being correct. Her, her, Meg is pretending to be to lying about her own sexuality to herself to, you know, fit in with the, the friendships. And Lois is like, no, you're, you're, you're not a lesbian. Let's, let's be realistic here. You are, you are not a lesbian. And, it's, and, and, and I, I think that was kind of handled better than a, a show from 2005 and 2006, you would expect. I think they definitely could have handled it worse. There, there is something that's still kind of a little bit uncomfortable about seeing, like, an outright dismissal of the fact, because, like, that, you know, something that people who, like, before they come out of the closet, a lot of times they do affect, you know, interest in the opposite sex or whatever, and and I think that, I mean, we as viewers obviously know that she's in the right, you know, that Lois is correct, but but I, I think that it is not the best look to come out the gate with that. The, the speech could have been, would have been better if it was later in the episode, but I still think the speech itself could have been handled way worse, and I appreciate it not being the worst version of that speech. Yeah, I will totally agree with you on that. Um, really, the only other thing I want to add, um, one, I mean, I just think Sarah was very fun as a character. I She was a bit too plain to bring back as, like, a recurring character, but all of the bits were, like, like, the, the bit where Meg is, like, you know, saying, like, I have something I need to get off my chest, you know, I've been making all these innuendos, and then she 
like like t- building up to when she is you know gonna say that she's been lying and then she turns around and Sarah's just like taken off her dress I think was a very charming moment but I mean really I don't have much to say about the episode besides that and I think it's I mean good we're already running a bit long um but the, the one thing I did want to add is that I, I think it's kind of weird that they don't interrogate Lois making out with uh presumably 16 I do like Chris girl. running out of the room um, besides the fact that <laughs> Yeah, besides the fact that it is extremely hot. Andy, uh, real quick before you go, which one did you bring in again? I brought in Griffin Family History. I got a lot to say. I got a lot to say about this episode because there's a lot in this episode. Oh, wow, this was nominated for an Annie Award, apparently. But, uh, okay, so the premise of this episode is uh, Peter and Lois wake up basically in the middle of the night, notice that there are robbers... The, the family wakes up, they run into a panic room Peter has in the attic, and then while they wait and deal with shenanigans, uh, we'll go into those shenanigans when we talk about the episode specifically regarding Meg, Peter tells various stories of the Griffins in their life throughout human history. Like, uh, the different ancestors, like you see, one is with, yeah, with Peter as Moses, one is Peter as a caveman, yeah. uh, one is we bring back Nate Griffin, of course, because that was a well-executed and popular character decision. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, um, well, uh, we'll talk about the uh, how the episode ends, but that's basically the premise of the episode. White Cleveland was unsettling. <laughs> yeah, I, I did laugh yeah. at that. It was weird that they made him white, but not Ollie, but I'll allow it since White Cleveland was a was a funny joke. The the plantation era joke stuff felt like a lot of it felt like man, you guys are. It feels like almost like you're throwing softballs out. Like I know you're writing really dark stuff, but like come on, like slavery itself is already dark, and like it feels like almost a little bit of historically whitewashing it, but not intentionally. Obviously, I'm glad that they that they don't bring Nate Griffin back as a character like after this because it's it's not good. Yeah, it, it's really uh. It's it's also implies that the the Griffin family was is somewhat incestuous because you know if Nate Griffin uh, had an affair with you know Lois's ancestor then there's all these vaguely incestuous connotations which is keeping in theme with the family honestly they they yeah. they seem to yeah they love incest in this show when I when I mentioned last the season and like this season on the shitting on Meg this is when I think the series hits eleven yes this is maybe the cruelest episode. To Meg yeah. that they've done. In the I, rem- the I remember watching this as a kid, like even as like a ten-year-old or an eleven-year-old or whatever. I was like really uncomfortable with this episode. Peter wants Meg to go make him a sandwich and get food because they're locked in, and the rest of the family's like, "Meg, you should get out and get help." So Meg gets kidnapped, uh, captured by the robbers. They think uh, Meg's a boy at first, but no, that's that's not true. And then when they're on the couch. Meg tries to hit on one of the robbers, is offended that he is not attracted to her, and rapes him, or at least attempts to. And then the episode ends with Joe, after he he found out about the robbing stuff, taking Meg away from jail for attempted rape, and Peter and Lois doing absolutely fucking nothing. There's also Peter hitting Meg with a baseball bat, and them all spitting on Meg. Yeah, this, this, I don't know, it's a... It's a lot. It's I, I, I'm not opposed to Meg being, like, put upon or, like, the, the character that everyone's just kind of, like, you know, rolls their eyes at. You know, in season three, they kind of hit a nice balance where, like, everyone's kind of a dick to her, but she, you know, takes it in stride pretty well. Th- this season is just, like, a lot. It's a crucifixion of Meg. 
there are a few of them, but none of the real flashbacks feel like that. Like, the, the caveman one's alright. The one with Moses feels kind of forced. The slavery one, obviously, is problematic. The one I really liked yeah. and thought was probably the best was the, uh, the, ni- the 1920s film star one. Because it feels like, oh, this is like a nice, actual, cute little really? tribute to, to that era. Um, especially with the sound yeah. mixing and stuff. Really? I think the only one that worked for me was the, the final, the Peter Hitler one. I don't know if it works Which overall, just, but it does have some good jokes. Um, well, I think it's—I just think it's legitimately funny to make Hitler a straight man. You know, like I, I think that is a genuinely like inspired comic take. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean that Hitler is a straight man as a normal. I mean, that's there's literal Nazis in this episode. You know, I mean that's kind of. Yeah. It's kind of normalizing Nazis, oh, right? We have, we have not even Come begun on. to scratch the surface with Family Guy on that front. Yeah. Are we one of those podcasts? We we try to toe the line. How racist How racist <laughs> we get in here, folks? No, well, nothing that can be actionable against us, but if you want to nothing go that for can it. Be um, the one thing I will say about this episode, it's, it's not great, but it does, as I mentioned earlier, the, the Godfather joke, which... That's the reason I wanted to, to do this episode, Spencer, as, as my highlight episode. And the reason why is very simple. It's because I remembered this episode went, oh my god, now that I've seen The Godfather 1 and 2, I kind of agree with Peter. The reason why I prefer Part 2 is because The Godfather Part 1, and I, and I never knew how to put it in words before, does insist upon itself way a little too much. So... Can you shed some light on that? Because I, I do not know still what is meant by... I, it, it's hard to put into words, but, like, I feel like The Godfather Part 1... Peter doesn't like the movie. I actually think it is genuinely, like, a great movie and a classic, but it I think it's, it's, it is a three-hour movie, and it, 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 all of its character stuff feels very tight, very consistent. It, very little that feels very human in the same way that a lot of Godfather 2 does, which I think is the stronger of the two. I think, like, Godfather Part 2 is about people and, like, breaking down and, and, and sh- showing weakness and strength, and it's a much more human movie, where the first Godfather, it is great in its own regard, but I don't know. It's it's just like it has this this vibe to it that it and it, it is consistently three hours of, of a same similar sort of very high minded tone and it's just kind of like a little too much. It's like it, like the first Godfather is kind of like an overly rich meal. It's like this is good, but like like I can't eat all of this. Like this is can we get so, like more variety or something? I, I I'm bad at explaining. It. I haven't seen this no, film make, in like a year, but like it it is something I agree with. Folks, in, in case it sounds like there might be, like, a weird cut in this conversation, it's just because Andy spent, like, the last five minutes explaining why they think The Godfather is a little overrated. Oh, now I'm going to keep this in. Are Look, man, this anything? is the most iconic joke of the episode. I've been wanting to do this for, like, at least two weeks now, so. Okay, we'll give him that. Also, shout out to Upstream Colors on Twitter, who posted this gag on Twitter and got, like, 60,000 likes. And I, I oh chimed God. in with my personal favorite Family Guy gag, the birth certificate one, and that got like 10,000, so... But yeah, the, the Godfather does insist upon itself too much if, if, if Spencer cuts that. To be that. fair, I, I watched The Godfather once when I was like 19 and blasted in my friend's dorm room, so like, I do you not should probably re-watch remember... It. It, is, it is a good movie. I should movie, probably though. re-watch it. It is a good it. movie, I just think it insists upon yeah. itself too much. Um I'll tell you what I think about The Godfather. Uh, That's fair. That's perfectly fair. I have, yeah. have yeah. not seen it. Might not ever see it. We'll see. I prefer the money pitch. <laughs> uh, I prefer part two. That is what I will say um, on that. You know, I, um, 
I prefer I, Goodfellas. I, I, I also whatever. prefer Goodfellas. Goodfellas is better. Goodfellas. I, I would agree with that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Enough. Uh, this is a. We're not a movie podcast, folks. We're Yet. A, we're a. Not as much as you want to be. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that'll about do it. This MF loves movies. That'll about do it for the episode, folks. Um, we went a little long this time, but we had a lot to talk about. It's yeah. a big season. Great guest. Patrick, before we go, do you have anything you want to plug? Me and some people on Twitter are working on a cover of a Steely Dan song, Janie Runaway. And then uh, me and some other Twitter people are working on a cover of Whipping Post by Allman Brothers. So I, I don't know. That may or may not happen. So don't have anything worthwhile to plug. But uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Whipping Post and Janie Runaway. Yeah, check out uh, check out his video, uh, New Yorker Who Thinks Food is Hilarious. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, all, oh the bagels. Oh, the bagels were hysterical. <laughs> can, you, can you do a New Yorker <laughs> Who Thinks Family Guy is the funniest show in the world? Hey. Hey, man, you see this Family Guy show? Hey, man, you heard of Seth MacFarlane? He's hysterical. The baby, oh, the baby talking, the dog talking too, that's hilarious. Like, you wouldn't believe. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Uh, That was Patrick, that'll be the show. Um, uh, Next episode uh, is going to be our first bonus episode. It's actually a, a double feature of sorts, since we did one and we it went too short, so... Uh, we, we only want to give you you hogs the highest quality slop. So uh, we're, we're going to give you a, a double episode, two for the price of one. We're, first one, when we talk about When You Wish Upon a Weinstein, not about Harvey. It's just kind of anti-Semitic. Um, and we're also going to be talking about the feature film, Dewey Griffin, The Untold Story. By feature, you mean direct to DVD, then yes, I guess that is a feature. Well, it's a feature of the DVD. Yeah. The, uh... Uh, the special features. Yeah, the the classic film. Uh, So that'll do it for this week. Uh, Hope you all enjoyed this episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. Andy, Ty, do you want to sign us out with your your usual things? Yeah, I don't really have anything to say. I don't do anything. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah, I forgot to, I forgot to look anything up. Uh, the Weather Underground is good. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, later. New episode of Rick and Morty tonight, 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Comedy Central. <laughs> so tune in, folks. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Things that make us laugh and cry